Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, we're a Star Wars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus or a weird Legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 180, and it's 28th of May, 2022. Okay, so in recent episodes, we've done non-Star Wars media recommendations, right? So we've talked about books, films, TV shows, etc, etc, that we'd like to recommend to people. I think it's safe to say, Kirsty, that this time we're not doing that, because we've got an absolutely stacked show, and there's so much Star Wars stuff to talk about, it would just be ridiculous to spend time on non-Star Wars things. That is correct, right? Yeah, there's too much to talk about, and it's partly my fault, because we were... We were actually going to record last week about all of the Vanity Fair stuff, and then I got sick. It's not your fault if you get sick, just to be clear. <laughs> it just means there's a lot to cover now, and it's it already feels out of date because I was going to get all this stuff from Celebration too, and of course Obi-Wan Kenobi premiere, so sorry about that, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, like with the stuff that came out in the Vanity Fair preview, I think like about two weeks ago now? I'm not 100% sure. It's over a week ago, somewhere between one and two weeks. It kind of trickles out, doesn't it? They do like a different article every day for a little bit. Exactly, yeah. They sort of like drip feed it. So in a way, it's good that we waited until now because it's all out there, you know. And a lot of it has also been like modified and updated through stuff that came out of Celebration. So in a way, I'm kind of glad that we're doing it now rather than having recorded an episode last week. So all's well that ends well. Had people been anticipating any Vanity Fair coverage? Because it kind of surprised me. I I hadn't expected that. Yeah, I think it took me completely by surprise, to be honest. I had no idea it was coming. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess it makes sense because it's tying in, you know, of Kenobi, it's tying in with Star Wars Celebration. So when I, like, take a step back and think about why they're doing this now, there's logic there. But yeah, when it first came out, I was like, oh, there's a Vanity Fair cover story. Okay, cool. Yeah, it just felt so different compared to... Remember when, like, the ones from the sequel trilogy would come out and we'd be, like, waiting for the day? Oh, God, yes. And people would be like, maybe it's this day and we'd all be waiting on Twitter all day and it wouldn't happen. Yeah, no, no, it's true. And there would be, like, rumours and, like, teases from the author's Twitter and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think this is actually from someone we have met, Anthony Bresnikan, who is a very nice chap. And, yeah, he does lots of the stars coverage um, for Vanity Fair, so... Yeah, he's basically made it his specialist subject at this point. Yeah, we met him with uh, Kenobi star, Steel. Exactly, Steel Saunders. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, I, if Steel listens to this, we are so happy for you. Like live that dream. I can't believe it. That was so it's funny. <laughs> I need to actually go back and watch that specific crowd scene. Me too. I'm just incredibly impressed he managed to keep that quiet because... I would be bursting. Yeah. Well, I think that's the level of commitment to wanting to be in Star Wars, right? That it completely supersedes your fanish self and you're just like, I need to be professional so this will actually happen. I don't know how it works, but obviously he had to keep it quiet. Yeah, so. I'm sure there well are contracts. Um, but yeah, it's great. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, and just as a little aside before we start getting into the proper news, and obviously after the news we'll do Kenobi, um, I wanted to briefly mention that Ray's parents now have names. Would you like to share those names, Kirsty? Um, Dathan and Miramir? I think that's it, yeah. So that's them. So basically, this tells us that um, the Emperor, Palpatine, Sidious, however you like to call him, he clearly has edgy taste in names. Because no one's telling me that it's not inspired by Daphomir. 
he didn't name Miramir. No, no, no. But like Daphan, you know, it's kind of like the start of Daphomir, right? I, I can't believe that's a coincidence. I don't know how they come up with these names. It's like they just put letters together and hope for the best. But yeah, th- but yeah on the subject of Daphomir, this does mean the ship name has to be Daphomir. Without the O. <laughs> I just, it's just odd to me because Ray's name is nice, you know? And their names are not, in my opinion. <laughs> their names seem very try-hard. I think it's safe to say. I think, yeah, it's strange. But I'm glad that, they, that at least the Wikipedia page for Ray's mother now actually is not just Ray's mother. So that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so, it's a bit and more that's dignified. From the Shadow of the Sith book that's coming out soon? Yeah, exactly. Which I get the sense is going to be mostly Lando and Luke centric. But who knows at this point? Because the excerpts seem to be very squarely about Ray's parents. So mm. it's not clear to me how much they'll feature in the narrative, essentially. Um, okay, so let's move on to talk about the news. So yeah, as we mentioned, there has been a Vanity Fair preview, and that was essentially focusing on the future of Star Wars narrative content. I hate that word so much. <laughs> what else is there to call this other than content? It's various media. Um, but yeah, it was talking about the upcoming Disney Plus shows, as well as some much more brief segments on the movies um, and yeah, other projects. Um, so yeah, there's a nice cover that um, has like Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, <laughs> um, and Diego Luna as Cassian. Um, yeah, they all look quite fetching. It's very blue, I think. Do you like the cover, Kirsty? Yeah, they look like they're on Exegol. They do, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Even though they all look like Force Ghosts, maybe. They have that like <laughs> dead tinge to them, so... <laughs> Slightly morbid cover, you could say. Who knows? Sorry, that's a really weird take. And it says, inside the master plan for a fleet of new shows. Exactly. So essentially, this is all about trying to reassure people that yes, there is a plan of sorts. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we'll discuss our thoughts on how much there is a plan (laughs) going forward. Well, it depends what your definition of a plan is. Yeah, exactly. I would prefer something like artistic vision, you know, monocle. I think there's pros and cons to plans and there's lots of different types of plans, right? So, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. And inside there's uh, several nice pictures by Annie Leibovitz. Um, they all have that like hyper CGI airbrush quality to them that all of her pictures have. But that's okay, that's just her style now. Um, and I think there's a particularly fetching one of Hayden running Invader's Cloak, which I really like. But is that your favourite too, Kirsty? Yeah, it reminded me of how they got shots of Adam like as kylo in action behind the scenes yeah that's so true yeah they would look really nice juxtaposed actually i need to find that comparison and yeah i really like mon mothma she's in one of the shots and she has very nice regal senatorial dress on although we'll say it's a bit less ostentatious than prequel attire which makes sense for the time it does yeah slightly more subdued and i guess to be fair when i think back to the prequels Mon Mothma was always relatively subdued compared to, say, Padme. You know, Padme yeah. was always just like ridiculously ostentatious. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's the style of her planet or something. Okay, yeah, but that's, um, I think, most of what there is to say, to be honest, about the Vanity Fair photos. You know, like, it's what you'd expect. Like, they're not really telling you a great deal. There's also, like, Vader and Reva in them from the Kenobi show. Um, but, you know, we're going to talk about both of those characters much more later on. Mm. Okay, so basically in terms of the rest of the news, I've tried to break it down by project. 
as much as possible. So I felt like that was the most coherent way to talk about these things. So yeah, in terms of the first project, I'd say the one that we've got the most about in terms of this news cycle, it's Andor with Diego Luna. Um, so we've got a first poster for that. We've also got a first trailer for it. And I honestly think this trailer is fantastic. I think it might be the best trailer for any of the Disney Plus shows. Do you share that enthusiasm, Kirsty, or are you a little bit more muted? No, I agree. I think it looks the best. Yeah. I don't know if it's um, like an effects difference or like how they're shooting things, but I just think it looked uh, just more impressive to me. Yeah. My understanding of Andor is that they're filming a lot more of it practically, you know, so they're going to real locations. Um, so I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show, but a friend last year was on a walking oh, yeah. holiday in Scotland and he actually came across a spaceship in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in the Scottish countryside. And that was evidently for Andor, right? You know, so yeah. that exemplifies how far they were going in, in terms of going to actual locations and filming there, you know, to make things tangible. Yeah, it's nice. It kind of reminds me of the sequel trilogy era. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a really, really great move because you you can tell from this trailer that they really want to bring home like the gravity of the situation, right? For the, the rebellion and how frightening and scary it was to live through that time. And I feel it's much easier to convince of the stakes that people were living through if you know people are actually in real surroundings rather than virtual surroundings i feel like that must help it's yeah it's tricky because i'm not like an effects expert and i know this is a bit of a contentious like hot topic for star wars fans because of like that that contrast between what george was pushing with digital and then you know because it is often it's like a a coded way for comparing the originals versus the prequels right yeah for sure but um to my untrained eye this just felt more uh visceral and and real yeah and i I mean it's been very impressive what they've done with the volume and obviously that's going to continue to improve so i'm definitely not disparaging that but this trailer just felt different to us and i guess that must be the reason yeah exactly and i do also think you know there's other really nice qualities to the trailer like they've clearly got really talented people involved like um one of the characters played by stellan skarsgård who's obviously a very high caliber actor and they also had was Fiona Shaw at the end Fiona Shaw exactly um who is like gravitas personified wow she did kill that line delivery it was great and yet and again like I just love the glimpses we get of Mom Mothma and her situation because we'll talk about it a little bit um but in the Vanity Fair interviews and stuff they talk about that character and it sounds like she's going to be much more prominent than I had personally expected she was going to be yeah, good for Genevieve. Yeah, exactly. Get that role. <laughs> Playing the long game. <laughs> I'm interested to see how she's portrayed in this versus Rogue One. Because obviously there, there was also like the juxtaposition between her and Saw and their approaches to the war. Yeah. Um, And like that must come into play in a different way here, right? Like that's kind of what we know about her character. Yeah, exactly. It seems like she is very much like in deep peril you know so it must have been a real tightrope walk for a senator in that time period you know when i'm sure there were many people who know that her allegiances are not with palpatine (laughs) and yeah they're constantly trying to sniff out any disloyalty or um subversion of the ruling regime and yeah that must be a really terrifying position to be in Mm. has it been confirmed that jimmy smith's gonna be 
in the show. Um, I don't think it's been confirmed, but I've seen heavy rumours to that effect. Right. And I think after Kenobi, I would be shocked if he were not in it, especially if he was also in Rogue One, you know, so. Yeah, and, you know, we know that Mon Mothma is close to the Organas, maybe, I, I would assume personally as well as politically, but I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it would be weirder if he weren't in it at this point, you know. Um. Yep, so we have a little bit about the show um, in terms of what the vision is for it in the Vanity Fair article. Um, so yeah, could you read out the first two paragraphs, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. That day in mid-2019 when Diego Luna was recruited for Andor, the actor remembers looking out the car window at the rooftops of the adjacent buildings, visualising the tale about resistance-minded spies and near-death escapes. He was especially glad that Gilroy's proposal included details that resonated personally. Luna describes Andor as a refugee story, with desperate people fleeing the Empire at the full force of its power. It's the journey of a migrant, he says. That feeling of having to move is behind this story very profoundly and very strong. That shapes you as a person. It defines you in many ways and what you are willing to do. Gilroy breathes deep and reveals a little more about Andor. This guy gave his life for the galaxy, right? I mean, he consciously, soberly, without vanity or recognition, sacrificed himself. Who does that? He asks. That's what this first season is about. It's about him being really revolution-averse and cynical and lost and kind of a mess. The story begins with the destruction of Andor's birth world, then follows him into adulthood when he realises he can't run forever. His adopted home will become the base of our whole first season, and we watch that place become radicalised, Gilroy says. Then we see another planet that's completely taken apart in a colonial kind of way. The Empire is expanding rapidly. They're wiping out anybody who's in their way. By journey's end, Andor's path will be to block theirs. Yeah, and I kind of love that because I feel like that's making it clear that there's real like emotional stakes, you know, and motivation behind the character in this series. And I feel like that should be at the heart of any good drama series essentially you know you need a character who's very clearly motivated to do what they're doing and yeah they're clearly setting up like the ultimate motive for Cassian right and yeah it sounds like they're giving Diego a lot to work with as an actor which which is exciting to me yeah the stuff about him being cynical and lost at the beginning is kind of reminding me of Jin so I wonder if that's going to add a bit more weight to how he relates to her in Rogue One yeah kind of like maybe sees his earlier self which is interesting because the way he talks to her he's like positioning them as different like I've been in this fight since I was six years old but this is kind of adding a bit more nuance to that it's like well you might have been in the fight but there are obviously stages where you felt that real despair and hopelessness yeah you know as opposed to a real drive exactly um, and in some ways as well it's reminded me of the Tico sisters because they were refugees as well their planet was destroyed yeah and they found home in, in the resistance. I mean, obviously, these are themes that recur in Star Wars. It's, it's not groundbreaking, but it'll still be interesting to see what Diego does of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it sounds like it should be quite a personal approach to that storytelling. You know, it's, it's with like Rose and um, Paige, for example, like that's in their backstory, you know, but it's largely enlarged on in like books and other media. Mm. Um, so I think actually seeing that story told on screen, that will be something a bit different. So yeah, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. Was there anything else you wanted to say about Andor, like the trailer or anything else that came out about it? I don't think so. I only managed to watch the trailer once. Yeah. So I'll probably need to go back and No, well, we've had a lot to do. Um yeah, I think the only other thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know if the quote unfortunately, 
is that you know Tony Gilroy, um, who I think is the showrunner for this, he did mention that you know he's trying to make this a show that is just a good show on its own terms, right? So it's not just good Star Wars; it's good drama. It's a good television series of good writing and like high caliber acting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he like made a comment about how he wants this to be something that his wife could watch. You know, and his wife is someone who could not care less about Star Wars. And I found that really promising and really exciting because, you know, obviously I understand why people love it and get excited when they know that someone who's a big Star Wars fan gets involved with making a Star Wars thing, you know, like Favreau or Filoni. But I I think that comes with its own limitations, you know, in terms of how you would approach telling a Star Wars story as, as a huge fan. Whereas I think if you come to it from a more outsider perspective, you can have a very different approach to storytelling and perhaps take more risks and do more interesting things. So yeah, yeah, that made me excited. Yeah. I've been quietly hopeful about the series since they obviously, you know, what Gilroy says is good news, but um, when they told us that like the people behind the Americans series was coming, were coming on board and it was going to be kind of in that vein of like a spy thriller, kind of political machinations and stuff. Um, and it seems like that's where they're going with it. Yeah. So if it can just be a good show in its own right that happens to be set in the Star Wars galaxy, I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, exactly. And quite different from anything else we've seen so far, which in my book is a good thing. We need to have lots of different kinds of shows. If this whole like Disney Plus thing is to be a success, right? All the shows need to have their own identity. Yeah, in a way, I think... <sighs> I'm quite surprised that they're calling it Andor because obviously he's meant to be like the lead central character and a lot of these other shows are named after the characters too but it seems to be so much bigger than that as well it's like about this period in time it does and yeah. they call it like you know he says it's a Dickensian ensemble cast but to me that title doesn't entirely reflect that yeah no and yeah. I think you know watching the trailer I do feel like Cassian was barely in it <laughs> like obviously you see him several times you know as you'd expect yeah. But I feel like Mon Mothma was almost as prominent as Cassian himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do wonder if maybe there's a bit more meaning, you know, to the Andor family name than perhaps we're aware of at the moment. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Just based on what we know now, it seems like a slightly peculiar choice of name. Mm. But yeah, we will see. Um yeah, so then another show that we learned more about um, is a new TV show that's coming called Skeleton Crew. Um, and yeah, this, like really, the title and a lot of the official details first came out from Celebration. So yeah, could you read out the bit I've highlighted, please, Kirsty, which is from the official StarWars.com website? John Watts and Chris Ford relayed a few details around their recently announced series, confirming it will star Jude Law and debut in 2023. Called Star Wars Skeleton Crew, the series will centre around a group of children lost in space and be set in the Ahsoka The Mandalorian timeframe. It's the story of their journey trying to find their way home, Watts said, but he also conveyed one important aspect of the series. It stars four kids, but it is not a kids' show. Bye. I might be being hmm. too like triggered or whatever people say by this, but I kind of bristle a bit at that last comment because I know what they mean. They're trying to say that it's not just for kids, you know, of that comment. I think that's what they mean. 
but I do also hate this like anxiety to make sure to like tell people oh no we promise it's not just a kiddie show we promise adults can watch it too it's like look all Star Wars is for kids right you know and I know that's like become a bit of a cliche in itself now to say that but I really do think they're family shows anyone can watch them right I mean that's the idea exactly so I, I don't kind of like that it's a bit defensive the framing you yeah know? i wonder what that's like what are you trying to say is it like yellow jackets <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my you're God. certainly not expecting a ton of violence wow. so you, you know what i mean like when yeah, they specify that it's like it, it probably is a kid show it's just adults can watch it too and that's fine yeah exactly i bet it's gonna be really kiddie to be honest and they're just trying to like appease people and make them feel better about watching it because people will watch it because it's a star wars thing right so yeah yeah uh like to be honest there's not much information here there's there was a little bit more information in the vanity fair shows so like casting children who were like 11 and 12 years old um, I have seen people theorizing that it could secretly be related to Luke's Academy because it is within that time frame yeah no which is possible um and that's the kind of thing that they would probably want to reveal a bit later right yeah no, that's true. It could be like a situation where like maybe one of the kids has like false sensitive powers and ends up with Luke, or maybe they're all potential Padawans, who knows? But yeah, like we have very little Jude Law is a young Snoke. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> but, well he was meant to be very attractive at one point, don't you know? <laughs> so the casting would work. <laughs> maybe that's what um Palpatine was working so hard on in that lab trying to create Jude Law. <laughs> I don't like that I'm like this, but I'll just say it. Like, I kind of wish this one in that, like, Mandoverse timeline, you know? Because they are circling it a lot, aren't they? wonder why. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I feel like... Didn't you mention, Kirsty, that this might be a replacement for Rangers of the New Republic? So obviously, that's completely cancelled and it's just being forgotten as an embarrassing mistake now. Well, I, I, I guess it depends, like... <laughs> Yeah, when you're in perspective, like, oh, they need to fill that gap with something. But it so far, I mean, have they confirmed that Favreau and Filoni are involved? Yeah, or? I think they're executive producing. So who knows what Okay, that means. so may- maybe it is then. Yeah. And it is in that timeline, you know, that they're obviously heavily involved in. So you mean you, you would expect it to be part of that, like, shared universe when they eventually do, like, a crossover thing, I, I feel like it. I suspect that's where okay. it's going. Yeah. Okay. Mando could show up and be a hero. Exactly. Might get creepy CGI Luke Skywalker appear at some point. Oh no. <laughs> well, if they are related to Luke's Academy. I don't think we've seen the last of him. I'm just raising myself for more. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, exactly. So just, yeah, be prepared. Um, but yeah, it's like name checking, like ambling coming of age adventure films of the 80s. That was a remark from Vanity Fair. Yeah, it does sound fun. I'm sure it'll be cute. Um, but yes, yeah, the sort of thing where we know so little, it's hard to pass judgment right now. So yeah, we will see. I think it's John Watts known for anything besides those new Spider-Man films. So I haven't seen all of those. I think he maybe did a small indie before he did okay. um, the first Spider-Man film. And is Chris Ford his writer or producer? Let's find out. <laughs> I don't recognize that name. So Chris Ward, he's written Chaos Walking. He wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, yeah, so he's collaborated with John Watts before, basically, on that Spider-Man Homecoming film. He also wrote Robot and Frank that I really want to see. I know that sounds really random, but it's meant to be quite good, apparently. It's about an old man and his robot companion. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to check that out. Um, but yeah, no, it's 
you know, to be honest, I don't think much about John Watts as a director. I've seen his Spider-Man films. They're fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. But they're, like, completely unremarkable. So I won't pretend I'm hugely excited for this. But again, I'm going to give it a chance. You know, we've got nothing to go on. So, yeah, good luck to them, basically. And especially good luck to the children that they cast, you know. I, I think it's great that they're going to have a more child-centric show. And yeah. I just hope that everyone is like nice to the child actors and is not shitty because Star Wars fans can be so awful to children who join the franchise. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I'd seen people, because there were rumours about John Watts doing something with Star Wars, I'd seen people kind of theorising, oh, maybe that's the Kevin Feige project that we still know nothing about. Yeah. But I'm guessing it's not because they would have mentioned him in tandem with this yeah, right exactly. no that's completely separate um because this yeah. is a tv show and the feige project is a film so oh, supposedly but supposedly yeah, who knows? where are where's where are the details about the movie exactly it's not being discussed <laughs> right now so who knows um yep yeah, so next up we have more information on the acolytes from vanity fair um yes we have like an interview of leslie headland um from the magazine could you read out what there was in here about this kirsty Mm-hmm. To ensure Star Wars will need new actors, new characters, and a new era, vaulting away from the timeline as we know it. Another upcoming series, The Acolyte, reportedly starring Amanda Stenberg, aims to do that. The show is in the casting phase, but the writing is largely complete, says showrunner Leslie Headland, co-creator of the time-looping Netflix show Russian Doll. She's been planning it for two years, mostly from the confines of her home. Her dog and cat, who peek in curiously from the background of Zoom conversations, are certainly steeped in the concept of the galaxy's High Republic era, she says. But casual Star Wars fans who haven't been following the recent novels and comics might still be unaware. The Acolyte, Headland says, takes place roughly 100 years before The Phantom Menace. A lot of those characters haven't even been born yet. We're taking a look at the political and personal and spiritual things that came up in a time period that we don't know much about. My question when watching The Phantom Menace was always like, well, how did things get to this point? How did we get to a point where a Sith Lord can infiltrate the Senate and none of the Jedi pick up on it? Like, what went wrong? What are the scenarios that led us to this moment? Headland describes the Acolyte as a mystery thriller set in a prosperous and seemingly peaceful era when the galaxy is still sleek and glistening. We actually use the term the Renaissance, or the Age of Enlightenment, she says. Jedi were not always ascetic monk-like figures, living selflessly and bravely. The Jedi uniforms are gold and white, and it's almost like they would never get dirty. They would never be out and about, Hedlund says. The idea is that they could have these types of uniforms because that's how little they're getting into skirmishes. See, that's interesting because to me that's not really how the High Republic is. So is they're there going constantly to be something... getting into skirmishes in the yeah. High Republic. And yeah. they are very selfless. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. So to be fair, be like I do a... think this is considerably later than what we've got from the High Republic so far. If for like right. those books, you know, they're like three or four hundred years before Phantom Menace, whereas it's only a hundred. So, you know, I think this is probably accurate to this specific era that the show is set in. Hmm. I wonder if Yoda is going to be a part of this, and like. <sighs> How does his character evolve to get to the point where he is in The Phantom Menace and then going on to like the original trilogy era? Like, yeah. he just sees so many different rises and falls, and how does that shape him as a person? Yeah, I am curious about whether they're going to use Yoda much, if at all, because so far in the High Republic books, etc., he's been like mentioned. 
I think it's been maybe like a few scenes and perhaps he's in the comics a little bit more but he's really been a very peripheral figure you know he's important obviously in the Jedi Order but they're keeping him out of the storytelling for the most part so mm. yeah I do wonder if they'll do the same in the Acolyte or if he'll become more of a central figure there I'd be surprised if we didn't see him at all. I think we'll see him for sure because he's going to be like the one familiar <laughs> thing in that show. Um, and yeah, obviously Star Wars love their familiar anchors and stuff in these series. And is it is it going to end with Sidious killing his master? I feel like it's too early because <laughs> it's 100 years before Phantom Menace. That was before Palpatine slash Sidious was even born. So, how do you know that? Um, so I think, Do you know how old he is? Yeah, I think he was like about... <sighs> Let's find out. <laughs> I think he's like also, in his seventies kind of the... at the time of the Phantom Menace, if I remember correctly. Mm. How do you know though? Because he was masking as a, he's the Sith Lord, so he has a canonical birthday. Oh, well, not a birthday, but a birthday. They year. can ignore that they stuff ignore whenever they want, it. though. But canonically, at the moment, he was born eighty-four BBY, which I think is before the Battle of Yavin. As things stand at the moment, who knows? They might double his age or something so that he can appear in Acolyte, but. Based on what we know at the moment, he will not appear in Acolyte because he did not yet exist. But that's not to say Plagueis couldn't, you know, Plagueis could show up in, in some garb. Because the thing mm. is, this show is clearly going to be about dark side forces being at play in some respect, right? So yeah. there will be dark siders. It's just a question of whether they're all original characters, or whether it does segue into you know the mythology we know about the backstory to the dark side in the prequels you know where Plagueis is involved and stuff because mm-hmm. yeah I don't have it here but another really interesting quote from Leslie was basically saying I would not touch the Luke Skywalker timeline with a 10 foot barge pole oh thank god <laughs> yeah an intellectual <laughs> exactly it's with like, taste <laughs> you're making good choices well done it's probably put off by the fandom responses to it all. Oh, 100%, I'm sure. And I think that's really exciting, you know, because then it just means she has a wide open playground where she can build up all her own characters and all her own dynamics and fill in what's basically an unknown part of the history at this point, you know, telling telling an original story about that part of the Star's history. I think that's interesting. I agree. I really want to hear more about that, but... You pointed out earlier, it doesn't seem like there's going to be much revealed at Celebration at this point. Yeah, I'd be surprised if there were anything at Celebration, because if there were going to be any announcements about it, I think they would have been in the live action showcase, um, which was on Thursday. It was on the first day. And as far as I can tell, there wasn't a peep about Acolyte. I'm choosing to believe there's nothing sinister about that, because there was quite a lot of Acolyte in the Vanity Fair coverage. I honestly think it was just because... You know, they haven't started filming. They haven't firmed up the casting for the show yet. So there was nothing to announce, essentially. There was nothing new. Um, Makes sense. I think it's just hard when that's like the project you're most looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'll breathe a sigh of relief when I know it's actually started filming. And I'm sure we will find yeah. out when it starts filming, right? Because, yeah, we just know these things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so then there have also been some... How shall I say this? Provocative comments from Kathleen Kennedy over. The I don't last think few she weeks. meant to be. I don't think she means to be at all, but they are. You know, people are talking <laughs> about them. Um, yeah. So, unfortunately, she made some poor choices of words, perhaps, in the Vanity Fair article talking about Solo and about the 
choice to recast Han Solo in that film, you know, and the lessons learned from that. Could you read the excerpt I've highlighted, please, Kirsty? Yeah, before I read it out, though, I will point out that it's not explicitly stated, at least in the quotes that they use from her, that she's talking about Alden specifically. Yeah, that that's stuff true. is kind of embellished by the writer themselves. Yeah. So we point. don't fully know if that was what she was being that pointed about or if it was just like a more general statement. Yeah, that, that's true. And that's the nuance we need. I do remember Romance Gate from uh, <laughs> oh, 2017. Um, but yeah, that was a yeah. dark time and it showed the importance of um, framing by journalists. So yeah, that's a really good point. So thank you for making that. Okay. The 2018 movie Solo explored Han Solo's younger years with Alden Ehrenreich taking on the role of the smuggler originated by Harrison Ford. The film has its admirers, but it made less at the box office than any other live action Star Wars movie. Solo's swagger might be too singular for another actor to replicate. There should be moments along the way when you learn things, says Kennedy. Now it does seem so abundantly clear that we can't do that. So the question is, what was she talking about when she said we can't do that? Yeah. Like make exactly. movies about existing characters? Or recast them? Yeah, well that's this is the thing. Because even if you say it's about the recasting, that's not entirely true because we have a show. They've literally that's got a recast showcase with... out right now. <laughs> it's like wall to wall recasting. <laughs> yeah, several characters recast. Yeah. Um, oh my god. And the thing about Solo is there. I know it's been discussed ad nauseum, but like there are maybe several reasons why that didn't do as well at the box office as they hoped. Yeah. No. Exactly. I feel like. Yes, there were commentators online who were complaining about Alden perhaps not being a perfect physical likeness to Harrison, you know, but I feel like most people who went into that film and watched it in good faith would acknowledge that Alden gave a really good performance as that character, you know, because I'm personally of the opinion that physical similarity is less important than the ability to embody the spirit of the character and deliver a good performance. And I think Alden did both of those things admirably. So, yeah. I, again, it's hard to draw clear conclusions from this statement. Because, again, there's a lot of editorialising, as Kirsty pointed out. But I think if this is like a comment about the decision to you know, recast a key actor like Alden in that film, I think it's a shame. Because I don't think that was what caused Solo to fail by any stretch of the imagination. That movie had a lot of factors stacked against it. And I think recasting was the least of its problems. I do think it's a real shame if that is the case, as you say. And obviously you have to put it in the context of what they've decided to do with Luke. With, I don't even know what you call it. It's not deep fake, is it? I mean, Um, I don't know. Yeah, you mean what they've done with Luke in Mando? Well, they they have a new performer and then they kind of layer over a fake version of young Mark's face. Yeah, I know what you mean. I I feel like deep fake is a facet of it because it's basically a type of technology, right? But I don't think it's the only technology they use to reproduce the likeness of Mark Hamill. But yeah, that's clearly what they've started doing and not a huge fan. Can we just briefly segue to talk about the cold, bold fear that went for both of us when they brought out Harrison Ford (laughs) at Celebration (laughs) on Thursday? Because with this in our minds, we were like, holy shit, they're going to talk about doing this creepy CGI thing with Harrison, aren't they? They're going to bring back a young, creepy, 
deep fake Han Solo. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. And then they did. Oh, I hadn't that. paid attention to like the name of that panel, so once I heard that it was about Lucasfilm as opposed to Star Wars specifically, I was like, oh, okay, so it's Indiana Jones. That makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. It was um, such a relief. It was great. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. But she's, you know, speaking of Indiana Jones, I think in that same interview, Kathleen Kennedy was saying, she was pointing it to him as an example and be like, well, we wouldn't do an Indiana Jones thing without Harrison Ford. And it's like, well, they have. Isn't there a whole TV series about yeah. young Indiana or something? There absolutely is. Um, yeah, and then at celebration, you know, Kathleen Kennedy was asked more questions about this, um, and Games Radar asked her a question that's particularly relevant. Could you read out that interview and her answer, Kirsty? There were some quotes before this from yourself implying that we won't see any more characters recast with younger actors. I never say never. It's certainly not something that we're doing of any intention right now. We're still talking about Lando of Donald Glover, for instance, but I don't think we would intentionally just look back at some of the characters like Luke and Leia and whatnot and decide arbitrarily to do a story. There would have to be a really strong reason why. Again, sorry for Obi-Wan Kenobi spoilers, but we do have Luke and Leia in that, and Leia played a surprisingly central role in those first two episodes. <laughs> yeah, and and it's weird to me because... Like, I'm trying to, like, absorb what she's actually saying, so the language is quite confusing. And to be fair, I don't think she's been deliberately obtuse. You know, I do think it's just, you know, she's answering a question offhand, you know, so you're not always going to yeah. phrase it with the utmost clarity. Um, but it does suggest to me that she's not barring the possibility of recasting characters like Luke and Leia at some point, which then would seem to contradict that earlier statement to Vanity Fair, right. so God knows. It is a bit confusing. So that that partly that is making me wonder if the quotes from Vanity Fair were taken out of context a little bit. Yeah. Or if she was just speaking without really thinking about what she was saying. Because I got quite defensive on Alden's behalf at that point. I was like, he is not the problem with that movie. Um, and everyone else did. And that's why there's been like this... Um, maybe people have been paying attention to this quote because a lot of fans were like, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair to Alden. Um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do there but the fact that she confirms they are still talking to Donald Glover it's like so there is no problem with recasting obviously you want to get it right you know you want to make sure that these actors are in a position to give a strong performance but it doesn't have to be like an imitation they can put their own spin on it yeah exactly it's like as far as I'm concerned you know like I think I don't know in five ten years who knows they tell a story about Luke's Academy, you know, and they want to do that in live action with like a young Ben Solo, etc. I would hope to God they would recast Luke, you know, just have yeah. actual humans in the, in the TV series, the movie, whatever you do, you know, and not this like creepy CGI robot, you know, like I just want real people who can deliver. Actual well, looking at that behind the scenes stuff from the Boba Fett, I was like, this new guy they've got is great. Just have him. Yeah, and he's the spit of Mark Hamill, you know, when he was young. You know, so yeah. in terms of people who are precious about physical similarities, you know, you've got a guy who looks almost exactly like him without any CGI modification. <laughs> you know, again, I'm, I don't know what his acting would be like, but I'm sure he's fine, at least, you know. like He's a Juilliard graduate. Yeah, okay, then exactly, <laughs> right? He can clearly act. It's not just a random man off the street, like... <laughs> Can you imagine if they were just like sent out scouts of like the express mission? We need to find someone well, who looks exactly like Mark Hamill. We don't care if he can I did, act. 
I started laughing when Mark called him his body double because it's like, oh, that's God. disrespectful to what he's actually doing. That's very disrespectful. He's doing more of the performance than you. Yeah, like. exactly. I, I hate to be mean, like, but you know, in those behind the scenes things, you see Mark, you know, in the costume, like performing with Grogu and stuff. You know for a fact they are not going to use any of that footage. Well, they're not because they've already told us how the technology works. Exactly. They might use it as inspiration, you know, in terms of the younger actor could model his performance on Mark's mannerisms, etc. So I totally get the value in that. But none of that would go onto screen, you know? It's, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. I know. It's a bit, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? It's a bit like they're uh, appeasing him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would be mortified to realise that someone was doing that for my benefit, but... (laughs) We're all different. Yeah, it has that like cringe factor. I don't like it. <laughs> oh god, they they, they don't want to take him off again. <laughs> want to keep him in their good graces. Yeah, no more tricky last Jedi era conversations <laughs> with Mark. Um, okay, cool. Um, and then finally, we've had some small updates on Star Wars film projects, which are still a very nebulous uh, prospect from all appearances. Could you read out the excerpt from Empire Magazine, which is about an interview they had with Kathleen Kennedy? Mm-hmm. Speaking to Empire at Celebration, Kennedy confirmed that the sequel era will be explored in the upcoming movies. We're moving further beyond the existing sequels as we look to our movie space, she said. The sequel era is what we talk about, um, is what we talk a lot about in terms of where we're going with our movies and just how far out from that we'll go. That's very much the space we're concentrating on. The next confirmed Star Wars movie will be Taika Waititi's as yet untitled film, co-written by Christy Wilson Cairns, while Patty Jenkins' Rose, Rogue Squadron movie is currently undated but still in the ether. Kennedy also reiterated that Ryan Johnson's trilogy, announced a long time ago, and very possibly in a galaxy far, far away, is not happening anytime soon. Ryan had such a gigantic success with Knives Out that he's very committed to trying to get that done. So it'll be a while, she said. As you know, we have to work three, five years in advance on what we're doing. So that's where that sits. I will say that I'm I'm not getting my hopes up by any means about Ryan's Star Wars films. You know, he's living his best life. He's doing lots of his own projects. He has full control over, you know, and he's clearly a very successful man. But I'm happy that at least they are talking about Ryan's films. <laughs> well, know. only because people are asking. Yeah, it's true. Like, I don't think he's doing another one. Yeah. I think it's nice that they're positioning it as a, oh, well, it's because he's done so well elsewhere. Like, But that's kind of a way to get them off the hook, too. It's not like, well, we cancelled it. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's, oh, well, we're, he's just too successful. Darn. <laughs> We've been left in the <laughs> dust. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, not hugely optimistic about Ryan's films, but they're letting me delude myself a bit longer. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um but yeah, no, um, I think it's interesting that they're talking about having stuff set more in the sequel trilogy timeline and presumably beyond it, you know, in terms of moving into the future. Like, I honestly feel like that's a huge task because for me, after Rise of Skywalker, I'm kind of like, what the fuck happens now? <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's a question of like, how far out is it? And will it then be impacted by anything from the Skywalker saga or will it be entirely its own thing? Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, because to say some things like beyond the sequels, it doesn't have to be necessarily related to the sequels at all. Yeah, that is true. It could just be in the far future. So yeah, I, I'm curious 
to see what the positioning is of the next film that comes about. So obviously we have some sense of Patty's film in terms of it being about pilots, right? But like Tyker's film, we know nothing about that plot-wise, you know, in terms of what the story of it might be. And it seems like their position in that one is the next up, you know, saying that I've seen some talk that it could still be coming out in December 2023, but I find that highly implausible. I think she said that herself, and I was like, well, that's a bit of a commitment. You just, And then they kind of pushed her on it, like, oh, like that soon? And she was like, well, around that time, maybe late 2023. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, don't do this, Kathy. Don't, don't. <laughs> yeah, that does seem very soon. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, obviously it's been done with Thor for a long time, but like, is this going to be his next project then? Or like aren't we getting more of our flag means death and you know he's got he's got all sorts of things going on yeah exactly tyke is enough one of those people who's like a million different projects at any one time so yeah i'll believe that his film is happening when i see it happening basically in terms of when <laughs> we get announcements approach and to all whatnot. Yeah. yeah you kind of have to think that way don't you you know you have to be like I'm at peace with this. I accept that I know very little and what will happen will happen and what won't happen won't happen. And I'm at peace mm. with that. So, Yeah, because this next quote that you've got about future films from Vanity Fair, I didn't even see this part where they ask her about the Kevin Feige one and her answer is really non-committal there too. <laughs> yeah, and the, <laughs> and the thing is, right, I would say that the answer about the Feige film is even less promising than the answer about the Ryan stuff. I mean, I'm fine with that, honestly. Yeah, but no, same in terms of priorities. I, just, I think it's so funny that they kept announcing things and it's like, what's the point? I know. And the thing is, though, recently, so I think Michael Waldron, who wrote Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and worked on the Loki series Loki, as well, right. yeah. he has said in recent interviews, so like as recent as this month or maybe last month, he's That's working true. on the script for Feige's film right now. You're, yeah, so, you're right. <laughs> Christ knows, basically. So it's let's so just weird. not... I mean, we're, I know we're here discussing them, but I think the lesson to take away from it all is to not pay that much attention to the things they're saying because it's all fluff. It's all yes. like, oh, yeah, we've got various things going on. And, you know, it's all vague. I like, think especially until Kathleen Kennedy. actually out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, fine, whatever. I think Tony Gilroy <laughs> and Leslie Headland, they're clearly talking about like concrete things, right? Because their shows are quite far along. But yet, yeah, in terms of everything else, it's like, yeah, just don't even bother. <laughs> it's like, just ignore it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still fun. I still enjoy talking about that. So yeah, thank you for going on that journey with me, Kirsty. No, I agree. I find it interesting too when it comes out. It's just like you say, things don't quite line up with other things that other people have said. And... Yeah. Exactly. I think that's why it's good to like take it all like in good fun, right? And just yeah. be like, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. yeah, I think for a long time I was like, I really, really want Ryan's Star Wars project. And don't get me wrong, I would still love it. Yeah. You know, I'm always gonna be interested in the idea of him telling another Star Wars story. But we can see that he's got other things going on. And really at this point I have to wonder how much appeal a Star Wars project does have to someone once they get to a certain point in their career. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I think they'd have to offer him a very, very high degree of creative control and non interference, which I'm not sure they would. So Yeah. Yeah. At this point it does feel like Disney are kind of holding the reins. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But yeah, we will see. I, I 
I will just end it by saying that I do think Star Wars's main home should always be on the big screen. You know, I think it's inherently cinematic. And I'm really enjoying a lot of the TV stuff, particularly Kenobi, which we're about to talk about. But I do think films are incredibly important to Star Wars. So, yeah, whenever the next one comes, I will be there for it. I'm very excited for it. But right now, I have no confidence that we will get another Star Wars film in by the end of 2023. I'd say right now, that seems highly implausible, given what I know about production timescales. But who knows? I might be surprised. So... I feel the same. And I, I don't think we're alone in that. I think a lot of fans are feeling that and, you know, missing Star Wars films, but also just missing the feeling of anticipating one. Yeah. Because it's okay to wait a few years, isn't it? For sure. That's part of the fun. But like, just to know there are more coming. And I think ever since like, Disney obviously decided they were going to launch a streaming platform and then they needed content to fill it up with and keep it going and ensure that people would stay subscribed and get more subscribers that's where their emphasis is going to be and after the runaway success of Mando and Grogu that's you know it's like well then you need to make more (laughs) yeah exactly Um, I can't blame them you know for really doubling down on all the tv stuff obviously Disney plus is very very important to Disney right now um but yeah I just love my Star Wars films so I hope they go back there when they have a really good plan and a really good script for a Star Wars film um okay we have obviously spent a lot of time talking about the news it needed to be done i'm glad we've done it um but let's talk about kenobi which i know we're both excited to talk about um so yeah we as of recording we have had episodes one and two because they both released at the same time and yeah they actually released them a bit earlier than they'd initially promised right kirsty yeah well i was just kind of watching on twitter some of the reactions from people who were lucky enough to watch the world premiere celebration and um i was watching an episode of the (laughs) x-files and i was like oh obi-wan kenobi is up i'm gonna switch to that and it was around 9 p.m and i'd been expecting to wait until midnight so it was like a little bonus yeah got to watch it that evening yeah no i was really surprised because traditionally in the uk new disney plus shows have launched at what is midnight in america and obviously i know america is lots of time zones but whatever the american time zone, the west coast west coast thank you yeah. uh that one um and that is usually 8 a.m in the uk which is nice it's a nice sociable hour to watch something before work you know um and i got up and then you know checking twitter i realized that everyone had already watched it because they're obviously <laughs> in america and i was like ah closed on twitter you know so they didn't want to have everything spoiled Um, But yeah, I watched it first thing in the morning and I thought it was wonderful. I really, really enjoyed those first two episodes. Um, And I think it's safe to say this will be a spoilery discussion of those episodes. I strongly doubt anyone listening to this has not seen those two episodes of Kenobi. But if you haven't, turn back now because we're about to discuss everything in considerable detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so yeah, what are your thoughts on these first two episodes, just generally speaking, Kirsty, and then we'll go into a bit more detail about each episode. I enjoyed them. I thought that Ewan did a great job. I think his performance is really interesting as he tries to kind of bridge that gap between Revenge of the, uh, Revenge of the Sith and like Alec Guinness's performance. Yep. I think he's doing a really interesting job there. Um, and obviously having just read the Kenobi novel, I enjoyed seeing kind of the influences from that whether that's like conscious choices on the creator's part or not towards the beginning like before he leaves Tatooine yeah and we do actually have an interview with Ewan 
where he like gives that book a shout out and says he read it. Oh. I didn't realise he read it himself. He did read That's so it great. Himself. Yeah. Which Aww, is so lovely. You know, nice. the author power yeah. tweet, you know, saying how thrilled he was by that. Which yeah. yeah, I can imagine that's an amazing feeling to think that your work has, you know, on some level influenced the actor who inspired you to write that book in the first place. You know, that's amazing yeah. sense of like communication with out direct communication if you know what I mean <laughs> that's good to know because as I was watching it I was like is it just me because that's kind of on my mind having just read it but all of the stuff with him just like his mindset there like wanting to keep to himself being very quiet um obviously the stuff of the EOP and like being an animal lover and I don't know it was just like giving me the strong vibes of that novel yeah um and his yeah his reluctance to get involved and kind of open up and obviously strong echoes of TLJ Luke as well which I really appreciated well in itself you know the last Jedi obviously Ryan and Mark talked about this but that he was in like the Obi Wan Kenobi role at that point too so they are kind of mirroring and having a conversation with each other in that way yeah exactly I know you know I have fun with it in terms of it's like poetry it rhymes <laughs> but another rhyme I saw was in terms of how they visually established. Obi-Wan's life on Tatooine and how similar mm. that felt to the establishment of Rey's life on Jakku early on yeah. in The Force Awakens. You know, you have very similar shots like creating the like disgusting ready mill basically um, and then like sitting outside the dwelling you know, looking out onto the horizon you know, just all these like images that feel so like fundamentally Star Wars that you see across all the different eras now. Um, so yeah, I really love that because, you know, we don't get much explicit sequel trilogy stuff at this point. So anything that I see that in my mind marries to what the sequel trilogy is doing, I'm like, yes, the sequel trilogy happened and it's part of Star Wars. I love it. That's such a well done part of The Force Awakens as well. Yeah, like everyone re must remember that sequence of her not talking to anyone, just living her daily life. And it's done so well. Exactly. It's beautiful. Um, makes sense for them to take inspiration from that yeah no it's really well done um and yeah i just thought ewan's performance is really good um and like again i'm not gonna go super far down this road but you know the prequels obviously they are a bit corny sometimes i love the corniness you know i think it's part of what makes those movies so fun but obviously you're getting a much more subdued version of the character in kenobi right because he's like a defeated and broken man you know he's not quipping left and right like he often is in the prequels there were like elements of him being kind of cheeky yeah, and snappy, yeah. which i appreciated there, there are. he's like oh he's still there yeah, yeah. no exactly he's still in there somewhere i felt like there was a lot more dramatic way just in the writing you know of the show compared to a lot of the material that you had in the prequels themselves so it was interesting seeing such a different side to the character yeah, there was obviously a, a tonal and stylistic difference. I, yeah, I think the prequels are very much what George wanted to do and Deborah Chow was obviously going to be an entirely different perspective. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I feel like the prequels, yeah. you know, they're kind of like opera. You know, they're very mannered. They're very like... What's the word I'm searching for? They're very stylized. They're very like high octane in every way. You know, as everything about this show felt more subdued. It's still really fun. Yeah. You know, I still had a lot of fun with it, but it's like down to earth. You know, in a way that the prequels never are, because everything in the prequels is happening at such an elevated level. Whereas, yeah, in this, you really see like people at their rock bottom. 
we could really feel that established with the choice to have that prequels recap yeah everything's so heightened you know you have um his battle with anakin and then it's almost like a death in a way isn't it of the character and it's just his feeling of utter defeat and that that age is over yeah. you know that's what he, he says to the the benny safety character yeah <laughs> exactly should we maybe start talking about it episode by episode so i feel like otherwise we're just gonna mush things together so it's hard to talk about it sure generally. i've only watched them once so i'm a bit worried that i'll like forget what's episode one and what's episode two yeah. don't worry i've watched them twice so i can help keep us on the straight and narrow I do plan to watch them again this week. I just didn't have time before we recorded. So sorry if I get some details wrong. No worries, it's totally understandable. Yeah, so in episode one, obviously it starts out with Obi-Wan on Tatooine and that's where most of that story happens. Apart from Leia, because you also get um, action on Alderaan with a little Leia Organa and you see her life there. And yeah, it essentially becomes a story establishing Obi-Wan's current routine on Tatooine and then, you know, really framing him as being quite strict in terms of his non-intervention policy. You know, like he comes across a a Jedi who's on the run who begs him for help and he refuses to help him. And then when Leia's kidnapped, Leia's parents beg him to go and find her. And initially he refuses, but then he's compelled to. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was such a good choice to really acknowledge, you know, those concerns that I think I've seen, I've personally seen quite a lot of about, well, how can you have a Kenobi show when Kenobi really should just be on Tatooine throughout this whole time period, right? Because his duty Mm. is to Luke. And I felt like they didn't shy away from that at all. They actively used it as a story point and they really fleshed out his thought process and his reasoning behind both not doing anything initially and eventually ending up like you know going after Leia you know scratching that Jedi itch if you will if I was going to be real nitpicky and I don't know if other people have been talking about this but like maybe they could have suggested that Yoda could help out (laughs) it's just like he's just chilling on Dagobah they've completely forgotten about him yeah that's true I I guess (laughs) It's probably logistical reasons in terms of Yoda's ability to carry a 10-year-old child <laughs> compared to adult man, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But like Yoda could have come and babysat Luke for Yeah, it. that's true, actually. <laughs> Can you imagine that Luke might see him through the binoculars and be like, Uncle Owen, why is that little green thing watching me? He could like cosplay as a child. <laughs> that is a brilliant suggestion. Oh my God yeah well you see if they really wanted to go for verisimilitude that's clearly what they should have done so missed opportunity <laughs> this is my cinema sins oh moment sorry yeah uh, plot hole <laughs> i would love to see kirsty's cinema sins it'd be amazing um but yeah i feel like there is so much to talk about here oh my god I know, um yeah. so yeah like obi-wan he has a really dead-end job doesn't he like just and that actually surprised me a bit because in the Kenobi novel, he doesn't have a job yet, right? So he's just arrived. I guess he has a bit of savings. Who knows? He clearly has some money. So he's buying a bunch of supplies. But that surprised me. But then it made complete sense. So he's lived out here 10 years. The money will dry up. You know, he needs mm. income to actually stay alive and do, do the job of keeping an eye on Luke. 
And not just that, he probably wants something to fill his days and kind of ground him in that life. That's actually a like really he good needs point. To look like he belongs. Yeah, right? that's true. It would look a little bit suspicious if you were just like living off a Bale Organa stipend the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a really good point. And yeah, what did you think about the dynamic between Kenobi and Owen Lars? Oh, I, I really liked that. Yeah. I thought they both did a great job. Same. It's obviously very tense. Yeah, it's like it was. In a way, it was even more hostile than what I'd imagined it to be. So obviously I knew that yeah. Owen didn't have any love for Kenobi, but it seems like real hatred towards like the Jedi and like Kenobi in particular. Obviously not to the extent that he'd betray him, you know, he doesn't when he's confronted by the Inquisitors. But wow, there's just like animosity. It's like, damn, dude, what did Kenobi do to you? Well, I I'm trying to think of it from Owen's perspective, and he might have thought of Anakin as the one family member he had left in a way even though they're obviously not close and he hadn't seen him well for a few years right before attack of the clones like i don't know i'm just trying to think imagine like well he's obviously very attached to luke at this point and um their idea of anakin is that he's dead he's gone and owen probably blames obi-wan for that yeah that's true and I, i think it's also like you say in large part about his fear for Luke. Yeah. In terms of, you know, knowing that Obi-Wan's master plan in hanging around like this is to wait for Luke to grow up and be a young man so he can, you know, take him off and train him. Which is so interesting to me because when I watch the original Star Wars, and I know there's going to be a certain amount of, like, massaging the meaning behind things as they kind of... Retcon is a strong word, but as they evolve the story, I always kind of understood that version of obi-wan like his impulse to train luke was so that he could take on anakin as his successor Mm. and do things differently but at this point he doesn't think that anakin's even alive so does he see luke as like someone who could confront palpatine directly yeah that's a really good point yeah, I, I'm really not sure what the game plan is. You know, I feel like I'm not even sure Obi-Wan knows. I feel like it's a very nebulous hope in terms of, mm. like, we don't know exactly what this boy will do. But Yeah, because he wants to train Luke, but he doesn't... He's not at all willing to meet that other Jedi where he's coming from. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why are you pinning all your hopes on this 10-year-old boy who you're not even aware has the Force? <laughs> I wonder if it relates to that chosen one thing where people are kind of unclear whether that's Anakin or Luke in the end. Exactly. And I I will say that, you know, if you think about the difference between Kenobi as portrayed by Ewan in these early episodes and then the Kenobi that meets Luke in A New Hope, like that older Kenobi, he's very steadfast and he seems very calm and composed, you know, like he is aware of some sort of plan, you know, and he's completely at peace with everything that happens because you know, he knows there's some sort of greater purpose to it all. So, again, I'm extrapolating. We haven't seen the whole of this show yet. But I kind of am wondering if over the course of this show, we're going to get a sense of Kenobi having, like, the picture clarified for him, you know, in terms of what's to Mm. come and in terms of what these children are capable of doing, you know? Like, maybe he does have a breakthrough where he realises that what will happen will be that, you know, Luke and or Leia actually reach Anakin in some way now that he knows that Anakin is Vader, you know. Yeah. So I think something like that might be a foot, but we will see. Mm. 
Yeah, so what did you think about the Inquisitors in this episode? A bit mixed, because I really liked Reva herself, and I think she's got a really interesting story ahead of her, potentially. Yes. Um, and I think it's going to obviously intertwine with Obi-Wan's quite significantly. Um, kind of mixed on the other like main dude. What was it? <laughs> the the one from Rebels. Inquisitor. Yeah, but it, and I don't even... Obviously, I don't believe that he's truly dead because he goes on to be in Rebels. If it's the exact same character, I guess it could just be the same species. But I think for me, I just had a hard time with the design of those characters in live action. Him and the other one um, with the heavy makeup. It's not like it's bad. Yeah. I just think in, in contrast to Reva, who just seemed so much, I don't know. I have a human bias <laughs> in these live action. I think it's the same with Ahsoka. I just think some of the designs don't quite translate for me. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's the fault of anyone involved. I agree. I think that both the male Inquisitors in this first episode, they just look silly. <laughs> There's a goofiness to it. I guess it's either you embrace it or it takes you out of it yeah. a little bit. And unfortunately, it is the latter for me. Same. Um, I didn't think they were bad, and I I thought his dynamic with Rev was pretty interesting. That he had this like snobbery towards her. That was that was pretty interesting. I also find it so funny that like Reva is so intense and so hardcore, you know, in terms of like being really brutal with her techniques, you know, and like randomly cutting off a woman's hand, you know, because mm. she dares to speak out of turn. I think she feels like she's got a lot to. Prove. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, she goes so far that the other Inquisitors are like, whoa, whoa, calm down. Oh, my God. <laughs> whoa, calm down. What are you doing? <laughs> when they're, yeah, they're all like Vader's lackeys. And obviously, <laughs> Vader is not one to calm down himself. So Yeah, and it's just so funny to me that you like, honestly, it feels like quite a few of the Inquisitors are actually relatively nice and reasonable. <laughs> it's like, why are these people being so reasonable? And... It's just a job to yeah. them. <laughs> They're probably like drawing out finding the oh, Jedi because yeah. they want the overtime or whatever. <laughs> that's so true. Oh my god. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so to talk about Reva a little bit more, obviously this episode it starts with yet another flashback to Order 66 where it's a group of yeah. Padawan learners, young children. And again, this is not inventing the will. A lot of people have said this by this point. I'm almost certain that one of the children in that group is a young Reaver. It's got to be, hasn't it? Because they show her coming off the ship right afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think otherwise it's just a completely arbitrary opening scene. You know, what connection is there to the rest of the show if that is not Reaver? Yeah. yeah. As that stuff started, I was like, oh God, another Order 60s. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, guys, it's getting a bit old now. It's getting a bit old. But if it relates to that character specifically, that's what, you know, it makes sense. And that was like, that was what the visual language that I was conveying. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually a, a quote from Reva, you know, where she's speaking to the townspeople on Tatooine that I really love. So I felt it got right to the core of what's going on with her as a character. So it's where she says, the Jedi are cowards. They failed you, abandoned you. There is no point in protecting them. They would not do the same for you. And Again, people will laugh because I do this with everything. But for me, that had like major, like, oh, he would have disappointed you vibes. You know, what Kylo says to Rey in The Force Awakens during the interrogation. So I think what you're getting there is a character who's projecting their own hurt and their own woundedness onto other people. You know, so Raver, to me, has clearly has her own personal reasons 
for thinking the Jedi are cowards, for feeling like she has been failed by them. Well, that's what she's been told by the new regime she's under, right? That the Jedi were the ones to betray the Republic. Yeah, and I feel like there's probably going to be more to it as well, though, right? I feel like there's going to be more flashbacks where we get a bit more insights into what happened to Raver as a child, you know, after that initial scene, you know, where they're all fleeing. And I think she's going to be let down in quite a profound way, perhaps by even by Obi-Wan himself, you know, because she clearly has such a personal animosity towards him. Oh, do you think like there could be something where Obi-Wan has the chance to rescue her and her friends, but he's focused on getting to Exactly. Anakin? Yeah, that's exactly mm. along the lines that I'm thinking of. Okay. That would make sense for why she's so set on finding him personally. Yeah. Exactly. And also why there's so much intense anger in there. So I feel like that's not just the anger of someone who's been told a particular account of the corruption of the Jedi. I feel like it's the words of someone who has reason to believe that's true. You know, really deep personal feelings. Yeah, there's going to be, have to be something quite strong there. Because in the flashback that we saw, there was an adult Jedi putting themselves between the students and and the troopers yeah, right exactly. so there was someone protecting her yeah, someone who gave but her she's life. of the opposite yeah yeah so mm. i feel like there's going to be a lot more to reva's story and i think she's clearly going to go on a journey right as a character this is just her starting point i don't know what her end point is and i'm sure the usual people will bitch and moan if she is redeemed but i would like it if she's redeemed i love a good <laughs> redemption story in Star Wars. so yeah we will see yeah, I'm just bracing myself for her to immediately die if that is the oh, case. Yeah, it's grim, isn't it? That's what Star Wars does. <laughs> they just don't know what to do. They're redeemed villains. <laughs> Lack of imagination in my book. I think Moses is doing a fantastic job with that performance. There's a real vulnerability to it. Yeah, I think there's like vulnerability, there's real passion, you know, there's like such depth of feeling. And I feel like she's really going for it, you know, committing in a way that a lot of actors don't when it comes to genre stuff. So I really appreciate mm. that. I was watching with my husband and he was like, I'm not scared of her. That's the problem. I was like, I think, and again, this does kind of sound like when we were discussing Kylo Ren. Right? Yeah. I was like, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be scared of. You know, we're supposed to kind of feel sorry for her. Yep. To some degree. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, I, I was just getting very visceral flashbacks to the Kylo Ren discourse from some of the comments I've seen going around about Reva. So uh, let's just say I'm very interested to see where her story takes her. Um, mm. Yeah, but should we talk about Leia a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So did that come as a surprise to you, the fact that we saw Leia in the show? Unfortunately, no. Ah, okay. <laughs> You'd been spoiled too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just heard the rumours a long time right, ago. Right, yeah that they were looking for a young Luke and Leia. I didn't have any idea of how much they would be in it. And there were there were people theorising, and in hindsight, I'm guessing that this theorising was really that people had looked at the spoilers. <laughs> yes. But there were people talking about like, oh, well, if he doesn't want to leave Luke, maybe the only reason you could justify him leaving is to look after Leia. And of course, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And even then, he needs to be like really pushed to it. <laughs> just like actually she's important too obi-wan yeah well that was a great line because obviously it's a, a bit of a meta statement on kind of repositioning layers prominence and importance to the original trilogy yeah. which is you know that's been a work in progress for a long yeah. time no absolutely i did really appreciate that um and yeah i just thought it was really lovely to see leia as a child here because you know we've got books and stuff about a younger leia but this is the first time we've seen her on screen as a child i believe 
Um, and I think the little actress they've cast in that role is brilliant. She seems so young, though. So I know she says that she's 10, you know, but I'm sure the actress must be a few years younger than that. She looks so tiny. <laughs> yeah, it's a small 10-year-old. But, you know, Carrie was small, too. Yeah. And she definitely acts like a precocious 10-year-old, right? So, Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, he acknowledges that himself. He's like, how old are you? And obviously he knows, <laughs> but her, she's surprising him in her sophistication yeah. and she's able to be so eloquent and articulate. It's, it's wonderful. Exactly, and I just love how in the first episode you get so much sense of her little personality. You know, she's not just there as an object to be stolen to start the quest. And obviously I know there's an element of that, right? Because her being kidnapped does kick off obi-wan's story but Mm. you know like that opening scene where we see what we think is leia being dressed up all elegantly and then you realize it's her friend or her companion or whatever and the real leia is off playing in the woods you know i just love that so immediately tells you so much about the type of child she is you know that she's playful that she's mischievous that she loves adventure she loves exploring and yeah, I felt like she just lines up so well with the grown-up player we see in 10 years later. Me too. It was reminding me a lot of Claudia Gray's Leia P- Princess of Alderaan as well. Obviously, she's a teenager at that point, but I think it's all kind of coming together nicely. Exactly. Yeah. And you get a real sense of the beauty of Alderaan as well. Like, it just looks so stunning. And also just seeing the like relationship and the bond between Leia and her parents. I thought all those scenes were really lovely, you know, because... That's all stuff we've seen a lot in books and it's stuff that's mentioned in other films. But you just really feel that palpable love between them in the show. And yeah, I'm a sucker for sentimental stuff like that. So it just really warmed my heart. I loved it. Yeah, I will say I really appreciate, obviously, we know this, but just the kind of cementing that Leia is an Organa. And, you know, by the fact that her cousin is... I was quite shocked by that. Oh yeah, he was a little. <laughs> that he was like brat. trying to make her. Oh my god! <laughs> to say that to someone who's adopted is just so horrible. Obviously, kids can be horrible and not realize the true impact of their words. But yeah, that was quite shocking. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, oh no, he didn't. Yeah. Oh, oh don't and, you, you know, go she there. She internalizes that for a moment. She's like, oh, I, I'm never going to be a real organa. Yeah. And I'm glad that she said that to Belle because also when her mum first says like you need to apologize i was like wait what her cousin needs to apologize (laughs) (laughs) that was horrible what he said but they didn't realize until leia says it later on yeah what it was that provoked her exactly and she was very like justified in my opinion in her response (laughs) i would have gone much further uh and and that i mean sorry if this is like obvious but when she was like looking at him and kind of oh, I, I can see you. It was like, was she kind of like reading his mind without realising That's exactly it? where I was just about to go. She just gets to the heart of his fears. And again, I'll tell you exactly what it reminded me of. It reminded me of Kylo when he's reading Ray's mind in The Force Awakens, yeah. you know, and getting to the root of her insecurities and her fears. But obviously much in a much subtler of way. Of course, yeah, it's like, not conscious. Kylo's blatantly like holding up his hand and looking, but it's like, yeah, Leia's using her powers, but doesn't realise. She just seems very astute. I think that's something that comes through in Claudia's book, as far as I remember, actually. You know, there's the sense that Leia is using her force abilities without knowing that's what she's doing. Um, just like an extra level of perceptiveness, perhaps, you know, and we definitely see that here. So I thought that was really cool. Hmm. Now that I think about it, I wonder how the Organa's like, uh, you know, consciously like raising her as someone who they know has the potential to have these powers. 
that they don't want her to know about yeah. it. Yeah. No, exactly. Okay. The thing is, those yeah. powers put her at such a risk, right? Because yeah. my understanding is that the Empire are actively hunting for Force-sensitive children. And Leia is obviously under the microscope already as the child of a senator. So, yeah, you'd think she'd be, like, a real... She'd have a target on her back, you know, for so many reasons. Um, See, I do wonder how much that's going to come into play, you know, going forwards. Obviously, little Leia is with Kenobi now. And, you know, is that going to become a problem that she's got these, like, latent force abilities? Will people sniff that out, you know, and think, hang on, why is this little girl force sensitive? And, you know, stop putting things together. Yeah, I partly wondered if they targeted her for the kidnapping because of that. But then I was like, no, wait, it's just that they know that the Organas are connected to Kenobi. Yeah. It was like, well, you don't even know what you have. No, no, exactly. <laughs> They've got zero idea that she's Anakin Skywalker's daughter and that sort of thing. I know you were saying that the whole kidnapping sequence reminded you of a certain Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Strong battle for Endor vibes. It's so true. <laughs> and yeah, I love that. Like, honestly, I feel like Sindel has got to be an inspo for Leia in this TV show. And I love that. I think Sindel's great. I think she's adorable. Um, you know, Leia's obviously got more agency than Sindel because Sindel is like four. <laughs> and so she's very helpless, bless her. Um, but yeah, some of those like action, in air quotes, scenes were very funny because it's like, guys, come on, how incompetent can you be? It was a bit goofy. A lot of those like outdoor scenes where she's climbing the trees and stuff, it did have like a very forest of endor feel exactly it? yeah i hope we'll see any walk at some point like foreshadowing the <laughs> subsequent events of return of the jedi i'd love to see it did you recognize the person who was kidnapping her no i didn't who was it <laughs> flea from red hot chili peppers no way what yes <laughs> he's got to be a big star wars fan right to do that they kept they were i think so they were like teasing like they were obviously showing him like from the back like watching her right and then as soon as they revealed his face i was like oh my god <laughs> wow that's so random he's doing a great job i've seen some people say that it's taking them out of it because it's like oh you know it's kind of like a, a bill burr kind of thing as soon as you cast someone in a, a role like that who's you immediately recognize but i i think that he's actually quite fitting for that role yeah like it, it wasn't like a mind-blown performance, but I thought he was like a good like baddie, you know, who's like a yeah. very good like boo-hiss character, you know, where you'll be like, don't touch a hair on that child's head. Ooh. And also, wasn't Leia's little droid so cute? Oh my god. Yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw they're not wasting any time releasing <laughs> yeah, toys exactly. of that. It's like instant merch. <laughs> it's like, we've learned. We've learned from Grogu now. <laughs> no, it's nice that she has a little friend. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought Lola was precious. Um, and yeah, I feel like, I know I mentioned the dynamic between Leia and her parents earlier, but I particularly loved that scene where it's just Leia and Bale, you know, and just like Leia talking about, you know, how all I want to do is go and explore and stuff and Bale talking about how he was the same and he was a child, you know, just mm. seeing that like daddy daughter connection. <laughs> like, yeah, it was very sweet. Maybe like a big soppy mess. It's nice to see her with her parents after so many years. You know, that's obviously been in the background and we knew it from her story in the prequels, but it's something you just never really expected to see. Exactly. Especially when Jimmy Smith is still, you know, playing Bale. You know, I think that mm. makes it extra resonant. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think the actress for Bray, obviously it's not the same person who portrayed her briefly in the in Revenge of the Sith, but I think she's doing a good job yeah. of it. 
Like you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell if you weren't a super fan. Exactly. Yeah. And I think she's delivering a really good performance. And yeah, I just think about that hologram, you know, when they're appealing to Kenobi. And like, I think she has a few lines, but just the look on her face, you know, I believe that's a mother whose child has been kidnapped and she's just completely desperate and despairing in that moment, Mm. you know. So yeah, a really good performance. Yeah. It is making me wonder how much Luke we're going to get in contrast. (laughs) So I expect, obviously, to see more of Owen and Baru. And honestly, I thought about Kirsty after the first episode because um, Kirsty texted me, you know, after the trailer came out and was basically like, oh, not Luke. Because in the trailer, (laughs) they show the shot of Obi-Wan spying on Luke through the binoculars, right? Um, And I think we were both afraid, oh, no, it's going to turn into another Luke extravaganza. But that's literally it. (laughs) That's the only time. Yeah, and I thought in context that worked quite well with Owen trying to get him to help him work on the farm. And he's just like wandering off to pretend to poverty. (laughs) Exactly. It also (laughs) reminded me of like how much better Leia is than Luke. (laughs) I know that's mean. They're both children. Okay, so I'm not trashing children. They're having very different No, exactly, right? Because Leia, you know, she's the children of senators. She's probably getting like a top tier education. You know, she's being prepared for like work in the diplomatic arena. Whereas Luke, he's literally been trained to be a farmer. You know, nothing wrong with being a farmer whatsoever. But one person is being trained to be a, a big influential player in galactic politics. And the other is being trained to just stay where he is right and again i think that's part mm-hmm. of obi-wan's point you know in terms of trying to get that little toy spaceship to him so he's like i want to broaden his horizons <laughs> you know i want to show yeah. him there's more uh, i liked that because it fed into the tension in a new hope when owen is like oh you shouldn't be thinking about going to the academy or you know i need you here yeah. <laughs> helping me and that's obviously a struggle that goes on and throughout luke's life yeah so yeah, I feel like we've covered most of the big elements of episode one. Well, I guess we get um, Obi-Wan going out into the desert to dig up his saber. So it was kind of like the trust moment in reverse. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> it's like, God, how many like lightsabers are there buried in this desert at this point? <laughs> but digging it up, I liked the symbolism of that. I don't like the idea of burying them. And that was what was interesting. Because in, in hindsight, you know, if you're framing him digging it up as the right thing to do, maybe burying it is the wrong thing to do that's him like running away from the problems i know it's probably for the best that in that immediate aftermath of order 66 that he was hiding and laying low and not using the saber to draw attention to himself but it's just an interesting reframing from the end of the rise of skywalker is you know that obviously presents it as like a a nice respectful thing that ray is doing yeah maybe the sequel sequel trilogy will start with lightsabers being uncovered who knows or someone yeah. going fishing and like bringing up Kylo's saber <laughs> from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I, again, I mentioned it briefly before, but that whole like little thread of like Benny Safdie, is it? Um, who's yeah. also the director of Uncut Gems. I know he also acts. This is not the only. Oh yeah, he was in Licorice Pizza. He was great. Yeah, exactly. In that. He acts quite a bit. And Good Time. Like having watched Good Time and Licorice Pizza relatively recently, like obviously I know he's a director as well, but. I, just, I buy him as an actor. Yeah. I think he did a good job. Yeah, in the way that he like approaches Obi-Wan and is immediately like under the assumption that, okay, fuck, finally I found you. Like Now we can get back to saving the galaxy. And then he's just so taken aback by how, you know, and Ewan is doing a great job in that scene too, to be honest. Like first pretending he doesn't recognize him and he's he's got the wrong person. And then just like the utter defeat, you know, and like 
and you need to feel defeated too like accept that we lost that time is over you need to just go back and like live a normal life and and stay low like i am i thought that was all handled really well i found it quite heartbreaking and especially when the payoff to that is that you don't get like a big grand scene where he's like coarse and has a battle with an inquisitor you literally just see his dead body strung up you know i found that quite chilling and powerful so i feel like that's the ultimate statement on the consequences of inaction right like that Mm. Yeah, people can end up dead because of this, you know. And there's a reason why the Jedi are compelled to show compassion and help others, and it's to avoid things like this happening. So yeah, yeah it was really striking. Um, okay, cool. So do you want to move on to episode two? Yeah, I will. My only statement left on episode yep. one is that I was quite surprised to see Obi Wan leaving that early. Yeah, like it was nice to uh, bookend it that way. But I was like, oh, it is within the first episode that he's leaving. I thought we'd be on Tatooine a little longer. I'm not complaining about it, but it was just interesting pacing. I I totally get that. I think my primary feeling was just relief because we've spent so much time (laughs) on Tatooine recently that I was just like, oh, get off it, please. (laughs) I uh, Yeah, I think I'm just enjoying Kenobi on Tatooine a lot more than Boba Fett because it just kind of feels right. Like that's where we meet that character. He's in this kind of like downtime period where he is grieving and that feels like the right place to do that yeah no that's fair so i do feel like with boba fett it's kind of like you're never convinced that there's a good reason for him to be there i think throughout the whole show yeah um whereas obi-wan obviously has good reason to be there so it feels more convincing on that level Mm. um yeah no that's great so then let's go on to episode two so yeah this is all set on the planet of dayu which is I was about to say it's a disco planet, but that's um, misleading. It's a a neon glow planet that's kind of dark as well, and there's like a big drug scene (laughs) going on. There's like Blade Runner Yeah, Blade Runner, exactly. It's very much like the lower levels of Coruscant from Attack of the Clones. I feel like that's the most... That's the equivalent Star Wars-y thing I can think of to compare it to. Um, And I actually felt one of the most striking parts of this whole episode was early on when he meets a teenage girl... And she's trying to sell him drugs. Did you know that's Ewan's daughter? I did not. Wow. I saw that, she yeah. She was good. <laughs> she was, yeah, wasn't she? She's talented. Wow, that impresses me. Especially the fact, oh my God, that has like such meta meaning. Now I know that with the mm. whole daughter line. <laughs> I yeah. always want someone's daughter too. Your daughter. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's so weird. Wow. Okay. But yeah, putting the fact it's Ewan's daughter out of my mind for a moment. I felt that character, like... I couldn't help but draw an instant comparison to the mods from Book of Boba Fett. You know, yeah. it's like a similar age in terms of like, you know, a teenager from like a disadvantaged background. But like for a moment, I never for a single moment bought any of the mods as actual people. You know, they're pure ciphers, you know, in that show. They have no like texture or reality to them whatsoever. Whereas in a few lines with this girl on this planet... I bought that she was a real person with a backstory and emotion, you know? Yeah, there's a sense of history there, exactly. isn't Exactly. And she's not just there to, like, fulfill. I can't put my finger on what's different. Maybe it's just the performance or something in the writing, but I agree with you. And I think it's a shame because I think, is it Sophie Thatcher who played yeah. that central Yeah, she is mod? So, yeah. such I feel a good like actor. She's amazing. I feel like she had the potential to do something. Yeah, <laughs> but she was just given nothing, basically. Yeah. So I think the problem is that in Boba Fett, they're purely just there to become Boba Fett's sidekicks, right? 
because it's almost mm-hmm. like instantaneous that he does like a nice thing for them and then like okay we're gonna go with you now <laughs> and like that's it you know there's like no development there's no build up to that whatsoever they're just suddenly buddies of Boba Fett and completely loyal to him and it just feels completely unearned and arbitrary it does feel quite convenient yeah, doesn't it exactly whereas this girl she's a drug dealer basically but she's obviously someone who's like ended up in that trade against her will and at the end i thought there was a really nice tension between the fact you feel that there's some genuine sympathy from her towards obi-wan in terms of she sympathizes with the fact that he's lost his daughter or at least he tells her that's what's happened um but at the same time she's still trying to like get him hooked on drugs so she can make him a (laughs) client so that was kind of like sad but sinister as well and i thought it worked really nicely yeah that was well done yeah so basically this episode the crux of it is that kenobi goes to this planet because he's been told that's where leia is essentially and he like hooks up with some underground people they give him clues and he finds leia and then it's like a chase you know where the inquisitors are after them and he and leia have to go off the planet so it's a very simple story fundamentally but obviously there's like lots of little twists and turns along the way um how did this episode compare to the first one for you kirsty um hard to say i enjoyed them both honestly i thought they worked well together yeah this is hard to differentiate as well right so i presume you watched them straight back to back as i did yes exactly so they just feel like one story but yeah this is obviously the one where we get that first idea of what the relationship's like between obi-wan and leia and i really liked their relationship i thought they were really cute together were there any highlights to their interactions that you particularly liked definitely the clear point where he is reminded of Padme. Yes, that was so lovely. Oh my god. I wasn't sure whether to like hope for a Padme reference. And obviously it's more than that. It's not just, I mean, ultimately that's what it is, but I feel like it's it feels organic there where he, you know, this is the first time he's meeting Leia at an age beyond being a newborn. Yeah. Exactly. And um you know, he might not have wanted to be thinking about Padme for a long time because it's too painful to think about what happened. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this this really is Padme's daughter in a lot of ways, even though she doesn't know that herself. Exactly. And I think it also felt so specific, you know, in terms of what triggered him to think of Padme, because specifically how Leia was behaving and the way she was talking there, it reminded me very strongly of how Padme was in The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I could tell that was exactly where Kenobi's mind was going you know that that was what he was thinking of when he was being reminded of Padme and I yeah. think that's a real testament to the little actress playing Leia as well the fact she can evoke that so well it's really quite extraordinary yeah that was, that was great yeah. so that was a lovely little moment um there's also just like little things you know when they're on the run he buys her a cloak you know to disguise her and and the gloves and like you know there's like a proper dad <laughs> moment where you know he's like no no you don't need those and because she's picking up some gloves to try on and then like he just instantly admits defeat like a few seconds later and he's like yeah i'll get them too <laughs> so <funny>. <laughs> keep me quiet <laughs> exactly i found that really adorable i was like wow he would be a very poor man very quickly if he were like a full-time dad <laughs> so he would she would just like dance circles around him I know since 2015 and we found out Ben Solo's birth name that it's been like obvious even though we didn't quite understand it that Leia named him after Ben Kenobi 
but you know obviously looking back at a new hope it's like well she didn't really have a ton of personal connection with him like i know bail was close to him but is that enough but this is obviously bridging that gap ben is coming to be very important to her so it's really it's really nice exactly i think it gives it so much more weight now the fact that she called her son ben because there were like lots of like jokes and laughs about that you know in the fandom because it's like this is a bit weird (laughs) um but yeah, I feel like it's obviously like a retcon, you know, I'm sure there wasn't that thought about how, oh, Leia met Ben Kenobi when she was a little girl, well before the events for New Hope. I'm sure JJ was not thinking along those lines when they called Ben Ben, like as in Ben Solo. Um, but I think it works really well. I guess well. he was important to Han too. Yeah, it's true. Right? I mean, I know yeah. at the beginning when they first meet, he's like quite dismissive of him but in the end like Kenobi sacrifices his life so that they can escape. And to be clear I do think that Ben Solo was always meant to be named after Ben Kenobi. It's just yeah yeah, they obviously didn't have this like grand backstory of a relationship in mind you know for Leia and Ben Kenobi. Yeah. God it gets confusing with all the Bens. I'm sorry. (laughs) Ben (laughs) Kenobi. Yeah so just lots of really cute little moments between them. Um this episode also had um, Kamal Nagiani. Yeah, and we thought he was going to be a Jedi. Yeah, but he was a Jedi <laughs> con artist, which I love, I love as a concept. I think it's so cool, and he had great fun playing it. I thought he was really good. I think I think that's the first time I've seen. And this could easily be something that's happened in the comics before. Or I'm forgetting an episode of the Clone Wars, but like the first time I've seen someone like pretending to be a jedi for monetary yeah. gain like that just struck me as so funny and like yeah why hasn't this been done yeah before? and it made so much sense right because there's yeah. a lot of establishment particularly in the other materials you know like books and stuff about how the force is sort of like a religion you know and like a lot of ordinary people place enormous stock in the jedi you know in the force in particular so it makes sense that that wouldn't just vanish overnight you know when the jedi are destroyed by the empire but that belief in them and trust in them would persist, you know, so it would be kind of lucrative, you know, if you were to position yourself as a, like, covert Jedi who's still helping people. Also incredibly dangerous, because someone could easily come after you and kill yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, so... <laughs> Got nothing to lose, I guess. Yeah, although, doesn't isn't he, like, confronted by Reva and she does not kill him because she knows instantly that he's not a Jedi. She's just kind of, like, annoyed with him. Yeah, yeah. she's like easily reads his mind to figure out where to go but yeah i guess that is a, a moment of mercy for her she could have killed yeah, him exactly given her other actions in the series today i think he got really lucky to be honest mm. yeah and obviously i think a lot of people are talking about how this episode ended so it ends with you know all the main players if you will going to like a cargo flight center i don't know what it's called um but yeah they're about to escape the planet essentially obi-wan and leia and then the Inquisitors catch up with them. And, like, Grand Inquisitor has been, like, super condescending and, like, a big asshole, essentially, to Reva. And then she stabs him through the gut. And I was cheering her on at that <laughs> yeah, point. Exactly. And, yeah. He was being insufferable. Yeah, exactly. I thought, yeah, you go for that. He deserved that. He re- he really did. He was not being a nice guy. I mean, he can't die if it is the same guy. <laughs> yeah, but, he can. you know, they all they all come back to life. Exactly. Maybe he has a forced diet who's just waiting in the wings to come and heal him. Uh, it's a very similar wound to the one that Ben got on the Death Star ruins. Who knows? But yeah, no, I think he must live somehow. Is seems like a pretty unsurvivable wound, but I guess Star Wars has done much, much worse to people and they've survived, so... Yeah, I think it was a good way to show just how ruthless she is, that she would literally stab 
someone who's supposedly on her side working as a team with her exactly and i think that action it really does make me think what the future is going to be like for reva from now on right because obviously you know she's been working as part of that group of inquisitors you know up until this point and I don't see any way back from that, you know, in terms of her working with the other Inquisitors. Because, you know, short of the Grand Inquisitor being demoted, which I don't think is going to happen, she's still the Grand Inquisitor in Rebels, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. th- there's no way going back from that. You know, he's not going to be like, oh, it's fine, I understand you had a bad day, it's okay, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, obviously, you know, they've established that Reva is very intent on getting into Vader's good graces specifically. So maybe in her head, her plan is, I don't care about being part of these like stupid Inquisitors. They're dumb, they're annoying, I don't hate them. All I want to do is be the second hand to Vader, you know. I feel like that might be, you know, her thinking at the moment. Mm, careful what you yeah, wish exactly. for. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's not going to go to plan, you know, for so many reasons. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do you get similar vibes to that in terms of like no going back from here? Like she can't really be like an Inquisitor as such from now on? Yeah, I I feel like she'll be out on her own. Yeah, perfectly paving the way towards redemption. <laughs> In a way, if you want to really draw out and maybe stretch the Kylo parallel, the stabbing is like a no going back, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a very decisive move. Um, And yeah, obviously the very last shot of this episode is Anakin in the back to tank. I was surprised that they did that reveal for Obi-Wan that quickly. Obviously, Reva would be itching to tell him once she realised. I think Ewan did a fantastic job with that moment of realisation that he was still alive. But I just expected it to be a bit later. Yeah. No, I thought it was very powerfully acted from Ewan specifically. Because, yeah, I think it's an important thing to be reminded of. You know, the fact that up until this point... Obi-Wan had really sincerely believed that Anakin was dead and that he'd killed him and that was part of his feeling of utter hopelessness and defeat you know the fact that he had had to kill his best friend basically um and also the I mean it changes everything it changes everything because obviously there's certain relief in that but there's also horror in knowing what Anakin has become now and what a threat he represents so yeah, that's another thing that makes me feel like the children, specifically Leia perhaps, are going to become more important to Obi-Wan's line of thinking and he is going to get that sense of clarity and purpose in terms of how the children will eventually reach him in the future. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I think it will happen somehow. Yeah, but you can see everything like hitting him all at once and probably like the realisation of the true amount of danger that Leia and Luke are yeah. in considering their father is still alive. Absolutely. If he found out. Yes, it does make me wonder, you know, how his behaviour with Leia is going to change in the next episode, mm. now that he knows that her father is still alive and would obviously yeah. be incredibly interested in finding her um, if he knew. Um, because, yeah, I feel like you would be so incredibly frightened if you were Kenobi in that situation. I feel like he'd just want to offload her as quickly as possible in terms of getting her back to Alderaan and, and Bale. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm very, very intrigued to see what happens next time. Me too. I'm very eager to watch that next episode. And, yeah, it's it's nice to feel that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think something we've both said like to one another and perhaps on Twitter, I can't remember is that 
part of the reason why this show is such a delight to watch is it feels like there's real like dramatic stakes you know like a real structure and a real like plan behind it again might be jumping the gun we're only two episodes in you know who knows what will happen but right now it feels as compelling to me as any compelling tv show not necessarily just a star wars show if that makes sense it's just quite an achievement thinking about it because we know how things turn out for all these characters do you know what i mean so it's quite an achievement for them to reach those stakes and you know i was actually feeling anxious watching them like trying to get away and i know that they're going to be okay yeah so yeah there's like a challenge there with prequels to to raise that tension and they've managed to do it yeah for me anyway they're convincing me that this is that this is a story worth telling and i think that's impressive you know because I think it was easy to be quite cynical about an Obi-Wan Kenobi project, you know, with the idea in mind that all he did was stay in that desert for 19 years, watching over Luke and waiting for him to grow up. What story is there to tell? Whereas now that I'm seeing how thoughtfully and seriously they're looking at the psyche of the character and exploring like his inner turmoil and his guilt and all those emotional aspects of the character... I feel like it is justifying its own existence, which is great. I will say I'm still a little apprehensive about his confrontation with Anakin. Yes, I think that's reasonable. I'm also somewhat apprehensive. Yeah, Yeah. and I I don't mean to be negative about it. It's just, you know, them being reunited in the first Star Wars is such a big moment. Yeah. And... You know, there is this sense that they haven't seen each other since Revenge of the Sith. And obviously we know now that that's not going to be the case. So what are they going to do to kind of make that feel emotionally organic? Yeah. And I'm not so bothered about, like, the facts being retconned. Like I said, it is more about, like, does it justify itself emotionally? Does it work for the arc of the story that they're trying to tell of Obi-Wan now? Yeah. No, I agree. Like, I think that's one of the parts that I've been most, like, uh, about in terms of I think there's a lot of potential for it to go very, very wrong. (laughs) I think maybe we were just put off by the language of the rematch of the century. It's like, I don't care about it being a rematch in terms of, like, a physical duel. I mean, what's it going to mean for the characters? No, I think that's true. I feel like there's so much emphasis in fanish spaces on, like, point scoring and who, you know, like, who would who's win? The bigger badass? <laughs> who would win this fight? And we know they both survive, so it's not down it's to like, that. It's like, I don't yeah. care. Like, to <laughs> me, that's like the least interesting part of any of these, like, stories, you know. this. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter who wins. Like, it's about the story you're telling through that fight, through that interaction, right? And I guess I feel more optimistic after these early episodes because I do feel like they are genuinely engaging with the like characters like inner lives you know in a way that i didn't necessarily expect so i'm curious to see how far Mm. they go with that when it comes to anakin well yeah because i'm now wondering if obi-wan is going to be unsure of where anakin is aware of the twins being survived and is that going to be a moment of tension for him where he's like not sure how much he has to do to protect them from him at this point like is he actively hunting for them or does he have no idea I think for much of the original trilogy even, Vader thought that Padme was pregnant with only one child since it's framed in Return of the Jedi you know, the whole sister thing, (laughs) where he's a bit like what? (laughs) Obviously a bit less dopey than that, but 
yeah, he fought. He, there was just one child when there were actually two. So, yeah, they, they've got lots of things to dance around, shall we say. So, yeah, I, I don't expect them to do it perfectly. You know, I'm sure there will be some like iffy continuity things going on. But I think as long as they're not super jarring, I, I'm I'm usually very forgiving about that sort of stuff as long as they tell a good, compelling story here. Yeah, same. So. <sighs> Brilliant. That was obviously quite long, but I feel like we needed that much time, right, to do it even a little bit of justice, because there's obviously a lot to say. There's a lot going yeah. on, yeah. I feel like we've hit the big things. I can't think of any like major characters that we've left out or anything. Yeah, I feel like we've covered mm-hmm. most of them. I'm sure, you know, after it, like always, we'll probably be like, oh, damn, we didn't mention this. Um, but yeah, the good part about it being a series is we can always mention other stuff next time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I really enjoyed talking about that. It's great to have a new show again. And it's especially great to have one that so far we're really enjoying. Obviously, you know, we don't want to speak too soon. We can't pass final judgment on the whole thing, right? So you've only seen two episodes and there are six total. But yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it so far. It's off to a strong start and I feel confident in saying that whatever happens, I think that Ewan will be giving us a good performance. Yeah, so for sure. That might be enough. <laughs> exactly. And just seeing real people giving actual performances with nuance and emotion. <laughs> I love that. There, there are too many helmets in Star Wars, basically. So I'm happy that this is a relatively helmet-free zone so far. Yeah, there's so much life in that back and forth between Obi-Wan, or Ben, I should call him, and Leia. It's really lovely. Yeah, No, exactly. It's really like nice and carefully done. Um, So just one last thing. Like, I, I know it's a bit mean to play a prediction game right now, and who knows? There's no stakes, it's fine. But do you think there will be any more direct Padme references over the course of this show? Uh... Maybe. Mm. And it, that could even play into his confrontation with Anakin. Yeah. He, she could be mentioned there. I agree. I feel like that would be the ideal place to have that, to be honest. I don't, you know, expect to see Natalie Portman in any shape or form. No, me neither. And to be honest, I don't even think it I would guess be appropriate possible, to include but... her. But yeah, I think it works very well. Um, I think it would yeah. work very well to refer to her again. Yeah, same. Um, okay, great. So let's close out here. So I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirstie, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye. Bye.